Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom, what is your favorite really hot day delicacy? Tell you what it isn't. A big bowl of clam chowder. The correct answer is a cola slurpee. A cola slurpee? A cola slurpee. You mentioned the generic cola, so you're not going with a specific brand. Are you not brand loyal when it comes to your cola? Whatever the Slevin has, my friend. Whatever the Slevin has.
is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Uh, Tom, we're, we're slogging through the early uh, season of, of uh, season six here. It is, uh, I don't want to say slog. I, I'm enjoying it as sort of a, as a historical exercise, nostalgia, like look at how far the show's come. Uh, so, but we, we're still at, God, we're still like 15 contestants. Kevin, I'm just going to say it. I think you'd still be alive in this competition. I know. That's the game we've been playing at my house. It's like, <laughs> I mean, all right, we'll get to the pasta salad, which is this pedestrian <laughs> a pasta salad. That is like, like, it's not even the Whole Foods pasta salad. It's like the Vons or the Ralph's pasta salad. That's um, your local grocery store deli pasta exactly. salad. Um, and those are talented chefs. Uh, so let's start with any, any like, any overall impressions as we as we sort of now three weeks into the season we've settled in here bottom of the first like what 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 is, what is your early game impression here? I mean the Voltagios, not just Mike, but the Voltagios collectively are, are just on another level. Um, you can clearly see from the beginning that Jen is a juggernaut. Um, not only did she get the immunity in the first, but I feel like whatever qualities she had in immunity where she could just like kind of just check out and not do anything, just, you know, be a lame duck out there. She was awesome um, as kind of the the point guard of the whole operation. So when you're watching this without knowing what happens in the future, I can still see that people would say that the Voltagios, Jen Carroll are far and away separating themselves from the pack here. Actually, Jen Carroll doing her thing in the elimination challenge is my favorite thing about this episode. Tom, as you know, I find efficiency and competence just an incredibly attractive quality. It is it is the finest attribute, um, a working person. Let's say like a professional person. I mean, if you're loving and you're gentle and you're uh, ethical, like that's, that's important. But if you're efficient and competent, man, that gets me going. That is, she was amazing. She She's someone who like, Seven seconds left in a game. You're down three points. She draws up a beautiful play, and everyone's feeling confident coming out of that huddle, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there's something else. You know, we forget she's she's had three appearances, three different seasons. This was the first. You know, the second she kind of got. Remember that was a. I, I don't want to say a technicality elimination, but as close to a technicality elimination. Uh, partner goes down. She's sort of rallying. You know, she's defiant at the judges' table, and rightly so. And then you know, the lemon sunshine in a jar, uh, in a, against a really difficult competition. I mean, uh, the let's, let's not forget. I think season seventeen, do your own product, was about as high an average score on one to 10 as we've seen. Yeah. Jen has just been uh, really, really good. And I, I can't wait to have her on the show to, to recap one of these episodes, because even though it feels like so long ago, I bet Kevin, if we watched like an old Miami heat 2010 season, 2010 season game, it, it would feel like yesterday, um, you know, different players, different characters. This, this episode, I feel like showed that Jen is a force to be reckoned with. Um, and again, we see it so many times in the show when you get immunity and you go into the elimination challenge, you go one of two directions. You either flop, take a rest, take a siesta, or you come out and you just feel like you're untouchable. And that's what Jen did. And, and the whole um, 
the whole conflict resolution skills that she has where she's just like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Are you guys done? Are you done bitching and moaning? Because we need to actually cook. And it was like, yes, Jen is so good. And and I forget who it was who said, you know, she's kind of soft-spoken. I was like, Jen Carroll soft-spoken? Yeah, That's that, not that the was girl a, I know. That, that was a weird characterization. Um, so I, I want to talk about the quick fire for a second because it's, it's really the first challenge I've liked through the season. And, and the reason I say that is it was a broad canvas. We've had a lot of, hey, you can yeah, – even the elimination, it's like – there's a limited kitchen or pick your vice or mm. sh- shell these shrimp and, and open these clams. And, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of our here's a wedding thing that's sort of a team challenge, you know, um, and not really a team challenge, but it, but it was just this was the quick fire potatoes. Yeah. And, and I think it is a really good control experiment. To really get a sense, you know, I I think if you were watching this season without the knowledge of who these chefs were and and which ones went on to to fame and and, and fortune, you know, this is the first time we've gotten to see, okay, what kind of game do you have? And I I thought, and by the way, like, let's give it up to sort of the middle of the pack. I mean, we've been a little tough, I think, on the quality, kind of the the median quality of a chef in season six versus season 17. But like, they all came strong. Like, I thought, like, I was impressed. And it just shows you that, um, you know, it, it, it was a, so in one sense, you could say it was an easy challenge, but I liked it because it was just, you saw the full range of skills. You saw each chef's style. Yeah. And uh, like you said, blank canvas, it's simple, the idea of a potato, but there's so many forms it can take, so many different flavors it can take. I, I wondered, Kevin, are you the guy who likes the sweet potato fries or the regular fries, if you had the option? I mean, I'm with Julia Child. Give me a McDonald's French fry. Like, I don't think any other place has perfected it. And I know people like the Chick-fil-A waffle fly. I can get with that. But to me, look, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw your sweet potato fries out the window. Um, you know, they're good with like what do you get, like the blue cheese of the ranch. But I gotta tell you, like, I am a purist, um, and the more processed, the better, frankly. I don't want those big wedgy, like fries that yeah it's like you slice a potato in half and then yeah, there's your fry yeah, yeah. i i want to i want a mcdonald's french fry i am i'm with ms julia child uh who uh, may she rest in peace said that was her favorite food oh it's glorious i i would imagine that watching this episode i'd see a lot of like french fry type dishes um but I didn't really see much of that. I, they did a lot of potatoes three ways, which was odd, you know, because it seems like you see one of those potatoes three ways. There's a great restaurant here in Charlotte called The Stanley. Um, Alice and I went out for our anniversary dinner. There was no one else at this restaurant for the two hours we were there. It was a Wednesday night, a little slow. They told us it was going to be a little slow. We sat outside and one of the staples of this restaurant is they pick an ingredient and they do it like eight ways. And it's nothing like it's it's not a gimmick because every bite that you have, you can't believe that this is the same ingredient. So we had uh beets like eight different ways and it was awesome. And on this on this dish, it felt like there were a couple people who were trying to figure out what they wanted to do, so they just kind of threw down potatoes three ways cuz they didn't really know like which direction they wanted to go. I found that to be interesting. It was, it was, um, my favorite one, Kevin was Ash's sweet potato custard because Ash did, I have it down in my notes. Ice cream is basically frozen risotto on top chef. 
I don't know what the upside is on ice cream. Like what it, I want, I want the stats on, on ice cream as it's a dish. It's always a disaster. I, I think always you're right. A disaster. Like, second only to risotto in just reward. It doesn't make sense. Like every time it happens, I'm, I've never seen like, and I put the, the cream in the ice cream machine and it was great. I've never seen that go swimmingly. And so yeah. when Ash, everybody's did it, ha- everybody's like hauling around tanks of liquid nitrogen. It looks like it looks like just the like the apocalypse on a on a faraway cold planet. Like it's just it's always a mess, right? <laughs> and did you see the uh, the food porn uh, shot of the frozen custard? Like he tried to go for ice cream, but it didn't really congeal. It didn't didn't really freeze like he wanted to. And I loved I, Ash is becoming my like my favorite character on the show. Um, yeah. He's great, but he like he's like I guess it's frozen custard. It looked like slop. Well, what was interesting about the top was two of the three toppers were people who had the most adversity in the actual cook, right? So we have Ashley who has that just like that crazy situation where where Preeti drops asparagus in Ashley's water. That uh-huh. was that, that was for the Noki, like in a quick fire. Well, you got to, I mean, boiling water takes a lot. Pretty wanted to blanch, got the pots wrong. So I thought Ashley was screwed. She ends up in the top three. Ash again, like you said, uh, just everything went awry. He's dealing with a custard that was supposed to be an ice cream. Top three, and then of course Jen Carroll with the um, <laughs> mussels. Actually, I was I was curious. You know, one thing I thought a couple of the chefs were going to get dinged on was you didn't highlight the yes. uh, the ingredient right and. Um, you know, you could argue that, you know, the muscles were the star of that of that show. Um, by the way, it was fun. Uh, you know, what we said about Broad Canvas and getting to know these chefs for real is that uh, Brian did this Vichy Soie. Uh, it was exactly what you would expect Brian Beltaggio to do. That's so right. That's so right. And yeah. uh, Ashley, would you have reacted the same way Ashley did? Like, where would you were you just right with Ashley, like the way she reacted to Preeti? I mean, yeah, it's it, it's a fuck up. Pretty screwed her. Like, fair and simple. You got to boil water. You got thirty minutes to cook. And I mean, I'm amazed that she got anything on the plate. You know, she's lucky it didn't happen two, three minutes later. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, look, I don't suspect it was intentional, but I mean, that is some. I mean, that is a pure screw job. There is no other way to describe it. Yeah, and not a good episode for Pretty. Not a good episode. And Ashley and Preeti seem to be good friends um, on the show. And if I, if it happened to anybody else, like if if Ron did that or if um, Jesse did that, I'm thinking Ashley's just digging in a little bit harder and scratching that surface a little bit uh, fiercer. Because I think I think Preeti and, and Ashley seem to be pretty pretty good friends on the show. So um, I probably would have gotten a little bit more contentious there um, because. It, it, I guess yeah, I could have just folded Kevin and just said, you know, I can't get my dish down. And thanks. Thanks, Preeti. But she rallies back. Ashley delivers a, a gnocchi that um, the judges loved. And you got to hand it to her. That was really impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it, it just demonstrates uh, you forget how good she is. Um, and if a couple things go uh, bounce a little differently in the other two seasons, I mean, she's, you know, she, she, she's, a, she's the real deal. And, um, I also like the elimination. It's a different kind of thing. I mean, first of all, I know you're you and I agree on this. I love uh, eliminations where they get to kind of voluntarily grab a partner. I think it's so telling. I, I think it's interesting, and it is sort of this great Darwinist 
exercise on Top Chef because it's sort of like, you know, oh, yeah. the big cats get with the big cats, right? And you always have the – and it, as horrible as it is to say, you know, it's sort of – you know, it's the last kid picked in kickball a little bit and they invariably you know, end up together. Looking um, around, you're like, who else is left? Uh, I guess I guess we'll be on the same team. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what was fun is uh, they – like the way the team's material, like like you had the gay Ashes, Ashley and Ash. You had the San Franciscans, you know, you had the like like it was just it was just funny. The, the fat Ashes, kids. the mics. Yeah, had- and the, the fat kids, right? Like yeah. like so yeah. it was just funny that each team actually had an identity, except the identity list, you know, Robin and Hector. Um I mean let, Jesse and Ron, and that's interesting because both of those cooks are on tilt right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jesse can't, and I feel terrible and she knows it. And it's just like, you know, you're in a batting slump and you just can't get out of your head. Um, you're in a shooting slump. You can't get out of your head and, and she's, yeah, I, I feel terrible because if she knows, you know, uh, Ron, Ron is a, is a genial, just kind of let it roll off your back kind of guy. Um, and actually I, I don't think he hasn't had terrible dishes i don't think but but jesse's just she is she is on tilt right now um when i those two got put together i thought that was the morning line favorite to go home but um they yeah weren't. who would you, who are your favorites once once you saw the teams roll out so we had the fat kids eli and kevin you had the mikes michael voltaggio and mikey sabella you had mateen and brian voltaggio you had jesse and ron you had the ashes ashley and ash you had Preeti and Laureen, and you had Hector and Robin. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, you know, it was it was the mics. I, yeah. I, that was sort of who I was expecting. Um, with, you know, one, again, we've talked about this in the past, and I think this is true across all seasons. When you have a team on two dishes or, or one dish, two people making one dish, it's one of those situations where the best chef – Look at the quality of the top of the better chef. You know, a, a bad chef isn't going to pull you down as much as a good chef will pull you up. Yeah, I agree. Um, but Kevin, yeah, gotta say, hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com/dings dings and get our special deal 
ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Mike Isabella's Greek salad. Get all the way the fuck out of here. What the hell are you doing? I mean, again, it's sort of like it is it is it is the definition of insanity. These chefs all know, even by season six, you know, don't make two dishes when you don't can make, make one dish. Don't make it like especially because Voltage is I got this. Like, I think it's an ego thing for him. You know, it's sort of like, look, let's face it. That was a Voltaggio dish. Um, Isabella's coming along for the ride, right? And, you know, it hurts his ego because he's sort of an ego guy. And it's like, no, I got to make my own. I'm going to put my you know, signature on this. You make a mushy shrimp Greek salad. Like, like, I think you just have to ask you, is there any chance that dish gets in the top three? I mean, do you know what you're like? There's none. And so what you do is, again, you just double the chances. Uh, and it's just like, look. Let Volta ride on Voltaggio's coattails. It's okay. No one's going to remember in week 15 you rode on those coattails. Just suck it up. He's a slightly better chef um, or a considerably better chef, but in your mind, probably a slightly better chef. Just go with it. Kevin, the, the, the snobby Greek is going to come out here. It's not a fucking Greek salad. It's not a Greek salad. It is a shrimp salad with a couple th- elements that might be in a Greek salad. There's chickpeas in there. That's not in a Greek salad. A Greek salad has like eight ingredients. You got tomatoes, sliced cucumber, sliced green pepper, sliced red onion, whole kalamatas, a block of feta cheese, some olive oil splashed on there, and then a touch of oregano and salt. That is a Greek salad. There's no romaine lettuce. There's no meat in there. There's no chickpeas. Whatever Mike uh, Isabella was doing there, it's not a Greek salad. Just call it a shrimp salad and be done with it. I don't understand. Like, when you go to a restaurant and I see a Greek salad on on the restaurant uh, on the menu, I'm immediately looking to see if it has romaine lettuce in there because that's not a Greek salad. But if you're throwing in shrimp or if you're throwing in chickpeas, um, again, a lot of times you see an artichokes. Maybe there's artichokes in, in Mike's dish. That's not a Greek salad. And so it's one thing to see that on a restaurant in it, you know, at a at a at a non Greek restaurant, just throwing that on the starters menu or the salad menu. But you're serving it to the judges. Their whole lives are this are this this thing. So you're serving a Greek salad to a panel of judges who absolutely know what a Greek salad is, and you label it a Greek salad, and it is not a Greek salad. And you could have made up something like, oh, the shrimp here in Vegas, but like you couldn't even make up a story. It just uh, and and look, that room, the the shelf, the food pantry might not have all the ingredients of a Greek salad. You know what? Don't call it a Greek salad. Sorry, I had to, I had to go. Tom, there. you know Mike Bell, Isabella, if he's listening, you disgraced one of the oldest civilizations on the planet. You disgraced Pericles. You disgraced Demosthenes. You, I mean, it, it is, you know, and don't even talk about Alexander the Great. You think that motherfucker is looking down with any sort of grace? No. Um, and so, look, I, you know, one of the great oldest, most just storied civilizations known to mankind. Can't believe he did that. You know, it, it just grinds my gears, Kevin. So we'll get to the judges table and, and Mike Isabella later. But um, I, I love, I kind of, 
you know, Kevin, we go back and forth on the whole like, oh, this is super gimmicky. Like, uh, cook this meal with no hands and only using your feet. I actually thought this was fascinating because a mess kitchen, you can't use a stovetop, you have no pots, and you have to just cook in mass, like huge quantities. And I was I was blown away at some of the dishes they put out because when they said there's no pots and no stovetops, I was like, well, what are they going to cook with? Like, how is that even going to happen? And it created, again, like the whole Lord of the Flies or high school um, – pick your teams. It created a lot of tension in that kitchen. And, uh, I thought that was really interesting. I really liked that wrinkle of this. Yeah. I, I, I love that too. And and look, I like the limitations sometimes. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, that the, the gimmicks don't work. I mean, when they work, boy, they work. I, I thought this one was fine. Uh, I, I think the choices also tell you something. Um, I knew right away that the Ashleys were not going home. No one is going home for a chocolate peanut butter bread pudding. If it's dry, it's still going to be, you know, Gail <laughs> still liked it. <laughs> yeah. You know, if it's, no if it's dry, it's that. still chocolate well, peanut it, butter. It, yeah. Also, what's great is if you have that stale, shitty Wonder Bread, it's fine. That's all you need. I mean, you actually don't look if it's a brioche, that's wonderful. But, you know, that was, you know, they're very smart. You go with the dessert. And look, you could say, I mean, Kevin Gillespie would probably say, yeah, go big or go home. You know, um, bread pudding was a genius. Uh, thing I, I thought I thought a pork shoulder you know you worry a little bit but I think three and four hours is enough I mean I really you know when you want to get that thing going but uh, for a long time but you know pork shoulder and potato salad you're not going to go wrong there it's going to be a crowd pleaser you know and then I'm you eating know, at that restaurant if there's an Eli Eli and yeah. Ken Fat Kids restaurant I'm going oh yeah absolutely um you know I worried a little bit about Robin and Hector but you know what that's a really good dish um to uh, again, I, I think enough of a crowd pleaser to finish in the middle. I mean, you really have to fuck up a chili, and it, it's skilled chefs are not going to fuck up a chili. Kevin, I, I need to do a, a mea culpa here. Okay. You were right last episode. You were right about what? I said I on a hot day. I don't want anything to do with a habanero pepper. But Hector proved me wrong, or I think was it Ron or Hector? I can't remember. No, it was Hector. He knows spicy food cools you down. Yeah, and the science of it makes sense. Is I, I remember like a few years ago, it blew my mind when I re, when I learned why we sweat. I don't know why I didn't put two and two together that like sweating is a cooling mechanism, your body's own just cooling mechanism, right? And so the idea of eating a spicy food on a hot day forces your body to throw on the sprinkler. And so I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. But I still don't want a hot soup on a hot day. So I get what the the science there, the molecular biology of why you want to eat uh, a super spicy food on a hot day. I'm still not I'm still not big on a hot soup. And what Jesse said is like she wanted to do a gazpacho for her dish and ended up with a New England clam chowder. Like at least there's some sort of thinking about a spicy element in the in the chili and. You mentioned it that, you know, in some of those warmer climates, the tropical climates, the reason why they have spicy foods or spicy elements in there is because it's a cooling mechanism. I have to hand it to you. That was spot on. And I, and that's my bet. And as you know, we've talked about it a million times. The great tragedy in my life is I can no longer really eat spicy food without great consequence and pain <laughs> and like, like a colon that is just, just 
completely on fire for three days. It's just the worst. Yeah, you know, I'm like I'm worthless for Indian food now. I'm worthless for Thai food. You know, I'm I'm the mild guy on everything. Like, what's the point? My friends who go out for Sichuan, you know, one to like, twelve, oh, one to twelve, you're like, I'm a wild. Terrible. Guy. I used to love it. And I still love it. I, I just I can't do it. Um, I, one thing I would take issue. Uh, you know, in the now it is a more of a bread. I don't think people realize that that um, pho is actually more of a morning dish. Uh, maybe you know, kind of uh, maybe lunch, and that is a hot soup. It's not particularly spicy, though. You can. You know, kind of, you can toss a lot of jalapenos or chilies in there if you want. It's more optional, but you know that, that's a good that's a good question because that is a what you would define as a hot temperature soup, and yet it is a staple of one of the kind of more warmer, more humid climes, which is Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I guess, and that does have some spicy elements sometimes if in your pho, but I would I would say if I'm outside. I don't want to slurp down a hot soup, a hot temperature soup. And it, it, I mean, it was in an airplane hangar, so it wasn't like they're just under the hot sun. But um, I still don't see the upside in making that clam chowder. And you know what? They didn't they didn't finish in the top three. It wasn't a strong dish. But I would say that uh, it's not my number one thing. And again, we don't really get to see the backstory of how what, what kind of ingredients they were working with. So maybe a New England clam chowder is all they had to deal with. But yeah. Hector and Robin with the three bean chili with chicken, that was a good dish. Yeah, um, it was, it was crowd I mean, the judges loved it. Yep. Um, the Celery leaves, kind of a nice touch. They kind of, you know, chefed it up just enough, you know. Yep. Um, then you had the beef loin, which is, you know, that's, that's Voltaggio and Mateen. That's... I, I, I would have loved that dish. Um, if I was eating there, it's 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 a great homey dish, something you know decadent where you just feel like a king eating that thing. So I appreciated that one. Um, uh, let me say something about that. When I'm watching, and look, I, I, Voltage is not going to fuck it up, but it is a little risky in the sense that you're just counting on the protein without a lot of infrastructure, and there's not a hell of a lot going on there, right? Like you've got the cauliflower gratin, and I mean, great. I don't, I don't think. You know, with with frankly, probably just bagged cauliflower. It's not the ingredient. It's not like you know, a good summer farmers market where the ingredient can speak for itself. So, I mean, that's only going to give you so much. You know, if you screw up the meat, if it's tough, you know, you got to nail the protein. And there wasn't a lot. I won't say it wasn't creative. I think there's beauty and simplicity when you're not working with a hell of a lot. But again, with a lesser chef, I would have worried about that dish because. If you if if it's overdone and you don't have the grill or what, you're you're fucked. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um. So then we come to Lorraine and Preeti, who do as you called it, sort of a grocery a Kroger pasta salad. No yeah. disrespect to Kroger. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on Kroger, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't like. Look, I'm not a cowboy, and I'm not, I'm not a Gillespie. You know, bless his heart. Like you gotta go really, you know, big every time. Look, look, it's a seven, it's a seven item lunch. Uh, not everybody's gonna get the big protein. There is something to be said for the vegetarian dish. By the way, vegetarian dishes tend to do pretty well on the yep, show. It does, you know. But I mean, it, it just demonstrates a lack of confidence, and I just think judges smell that. You know, I, it, there's, it's just very clear, uh, Tom. I think it's even gotten more over the last few seasons, increasingly intolerant of non-ambition. 
Yep. And and in this episode, he really drove that home, where he filleted Lorien and, and Preeti for basically doing the lowest ceiling dish possible. Like if you're going to do a pasta salad, come up with some sort of element in there that is elevated. But they did a standard, I think it was like what, sun-dried tomato and then you had broccoli. broccoli clear. And by the way, like like that, those broccoli broccoli clear. I mean nobody likes those florets. I mean that's just – that is – I am with George H.W. Bush on that. You know, like like that's just not an appetizing food. Wait, what is um, the George H.W. theory like he on famously, broccoli? He famously hated broccoli. It was just one of those goofy things that you learn about presidential candidates like, look, he doesn't like broccoli. You know, like – um, Barack Obama would, plays basketball. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those little, you know, it shows you how colorless Bill Clinton the man. plays the saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the man was so colorless. That's what we knew about his personal <laughs> life other than the whole Greenwich, you know, uh, wealthy Connecticut thing. And, you know, whoa, um, whoa, whoa. I mean, he's a good, I mean, he is a patrician. Like there was a great, by the way, did you read, there was a great piece in the New Yorker about maybe eight, nine weeks ago, or maybe it was before the quarantine, about sort of the evo- the political evolution of Greenwich over multiple decades. It's a really good piece. I would read the shit out of that. Yeah. Um, as I'll, someone I'll who it. rivaled Greenwich in, in growing up in high school and some of my best friends are from Greenwich, but still – I would read that read that in a second. And yeah, the, and the gang warfare between Westport and Greenwich. The mean streets of Fairfield County. Um yeah. but I look, HW, uh I'm actually gonna sit here and say bro- charred broccolini and charred broccoli are like my favorite things in this world. Like if you that, can throw oh, broccoli yeah, yeah. in the oven and char the fuck out of it so it has that black tint to it. It is delicious. Right, I but this love wasn't that. that. But that's I'm with not you. that. This 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 pasta dish didn't have that element to it. Um, and I'm just sitting here like, wait, did, was it even under? Was it too salty or under seasoned? They couldn't even get the seasoning right on this. I mean, who knows? It's just bow tie. I mean, again, as you you said it in the open, like this is something you would get at a chain grocery store. It's just a standard. You know, and by the way, it's also kind of you know I'm thinking about Michaels from last season. It's also such a like late '80s deli item. Like I mean, yeah. I'm like ooh, pasta salad. You know, you got the the the, the fusilli, the green fusilli, and 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 mm-hmm. uh, with parmesan or basil actually, and then you get the the, the bow tie with the sun dried tomatoes again. Like real look, I know they had not much to work with, um, but man, uh, now I will say this. Tom, I like that neither Laureen or Preeti would throw each other under the bus. That was classy. Much mm-hmm. respect. Uh, you know, look, you're facing the executioner. I, I know, uh, you know, at this point, and they, they didn't do it. They they wouldn't sell each other out. Uh, those are two classy chefs. I appreciated that too. I was waiting for someone to bend and break, and they didn't. They st- they stood there, faced the music, and they didn't um, – you, know, you know, Preeti, for, for better or for worse, didn't blame Laureen for any of it, went out with honor. But I think when you watch this episode, uh, I thought it would get a lot more desperate where they would start throwing uh, insults at each other because in team play, everything's happy and jolly until you, until you get punched in the face. And then the truth starts to come out. And in this in this time, I don't think the the producers, the Magical Elves edit team, I don't think we got to see who came up with the dish, or at least we didn't get to see like how that dish was conceived. And to their credit, um, they didn't throw 
each other onto the bus. Yeah. I mean, one thing I would have liked to have seen more was I am like, and maybe, maybe there wasn't any of this, but the planning of the menu, right? Like who's taking dessert, like, like Ashley and Ash claiming dessert, uh, you know, Preeti and Lorraine claiming, oh, we'll do the vegetarian dish. Like, who's the big dog saying we're doing pork shoulder? But, you know, how did it play out? Was it, again, we, we talk, I talk about the Darwinism on this show, and I don't know if there was uh, film of that, but it's the kind of thing I enjoy seeing. I always love to see how decisions are made, uh, and, and that is one edit I, I wish we had. Um, and and yeah. I do like Isabella – um, Isabella coming out with the plan here, I thought that was really strong. Like, I didn't know if it was going to come from Isabella coming out with the idea of seven teams, two people per team. And then, oh, we did see that. That was interesting. Yeah. Right. That was I really cool. And I thought Isabella, that was a really strong moment for him. Um, he is, he's assertive. We know that, um, assertive to a fault in my opinion. And he, he came out with a great idea. And I thought when you're dealing with 15 chefs and there's an odd number out, um, I thought that was a really strong idea is having Jen do that. Um, now – And by the way, let's applaud her for her flexibility. Like like another chef might have said, you know, fuck you. I'm not, I'm not not cooking. Like I came on this show to cook and I don't care if I have immunity. I'm going to beat you guys anyway. And and also I, I think I think she enjoys that role and it was kind of fun. I, I thought it's it was alpha very – role. You're yeah, the alpha. I, I the thought community. it was cool that she embraced it from the start, right? She didn't need to – it didn't need to be sold to her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and maybe Mike knew that um, about Jen, is like she's going to eat this up. So um, I did want to note that uh, Padma coming into the airplane hangar with a leopard print uh, skirt was amazing. Um, it just – it was pure Padma doing that where it's like these people haven't been around for – you know, they've been – they just got home and then there's this like supermodel rolling in with a leopard print skirt. It was just classic. Um, yeah. Then you had – do you have any thoughts on um, our guest judge, Mark Peel? Like any sort of notes here about Mark Peel? Yeah. No, don't forget. This is Nancy Silverton's ex-husband. Um, and oh, very much, that's what it Yeah. Was. Like uh, you know, also was, was very much behind La Brea Bakery and I believe Campanile. Um, my understanding is, is I think they were somewhat screwed by the Bernie Madoff scandal. Mm, um, okay. You know, I think they had some money with him. Uh, we we have we have showered Nancy Silverton with great appreciation and praise, and just how much we love her on the show. I've loved her 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 places in Los Angeles since I moved here. But Peel was, I, I think, mar- you know, married to Nancy Silverton. Uh, what were your? Oh, I mean, I, I liked him as a judge. I, I, you know, it was a yeah. He was a good additive. I, I, I think. Um, one more thing about Preeti and Laureen as we kind of get to the to the. Um, to the elimination, I might have gone the other way in this respect. Do you do you hang it on the chef who didn't even realize it was bad, or do you hang it on the chef who knew it was bad and was just like knew they were they were headed and kind of didn't have the gumption to say let's switch it up or we need to add a little another element to this or or screw vegetarian? How about some charred chicken? Whatever it was, I might have actually nixed. The person who knew yep. the, the the sin yep. of omission versus the sin of commission, right? And I, I might have gone the other way. I, I, I'd like to think about it. I I think because you know it was a bad dish, um, it feels like you should have done something about it, um, or you knew that you could have done something better and didn't. I feel like that's a larger crime. Mm-hmm. Um, any closing thoughts? Uh, it was 
I, I thought by and large it was a really nice. It was I think my favorite episode of the uh, of the season so far. Yeah, I I thought it was I, I liked both elimination challenge and the the quick fire challenge here. Um, one of the elements that I really loved about this episode is, at the judges table is that Isabella it, it, he had to actually go to both sides. I don't think we've oh yeah, ever oh, seen let, that. let's talk about that. You know, let's definitely talk, address that. That I don't know that I've ever seen someone be on the winner and losing <laughs> block. That was and, fantastic. And- to happen to Isabella, who's just, you know, as confident as any guy we've seen on this show, to be out there, you know, you know, shaking his ass. She's like, yeah, I'm in the top four. What's up? What's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the bacon dish. Yeah, that was Mike. But what, we're good, though. Uh, who, who do you want me to bring out? Let me know. What's the roll call of bringing out for the bottom? Uh, what? What? Me? Oh, shit. So I thought that was such a glorious little little wrinkle in there yeah um if you're not an isabella fan and i think many are probably not an isabella fan he he's fashioned himself the villain in this season uh it was a you enjoyed the comeuppance right i mean that it, it was it was it was good narrative uh for the episode yeah and deservedly so fuck that greek salad man yeah um again he just 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 blasphemous against one of the great uh, great cuisines and 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 great civilizations. Um, closing thoughts, Tom Haberstrow. Uh, Preeti, uh, do you have anything for a where are they now for Preeti? Um, I think I was cooking in Oakland and uh, the Juhu Beach Club in Oakland, which, you know, Oakland's had a really interesting scene the last several years. Chef P. Mystery, M-I-S-T-R-Y, about 5,000 followers. Listeners to this show, let's get that to 5,000. Posting quite a bit and look, still in the chef game. So we're still in this space where even 10 years after the show, um, they're sticking to being a chef despite being out of Top Chef early. I actually thought at the judges table, I was like, oh, I think Laureen's going home. And I was a little bit surprised to see Preeti go home. Um, But – yeah, I was I was a little I was a little surprised by that, Kevin. That that Preeti w- was going home there. Yeah, regarding Preeti, I think you know a lot can happen with a chef for ten years. Um, you're probably not the writer you were ten years ago. I'm certainly not. You know, uh, the writer I was ten years ago. I, I think you know, it, judging it, it's 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 easy to forget that this was filmed twelve years ago. That is a lifetime if you're in a creative field. Yeah, apparently Preeti has opened uh, two concepts at the Oakland Food Hall. Oh, that's a great food hall. It's right near the uh, the old uh, Warriors practice facility in that hotel. Oh, is it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. right there. I always go to lunch after practice there. You can go and check that out next time you're in Oakland for those who are listening. Uh, but, you know, final thoughts here, Kevin, is Jen, Voltagios, Kevin. We haven't seen much of Eli on this show, but um, – I'm really enjoying those little vignettes that they show, like kind of in between commercial breaks. I like that. Um, that have nothing to do with either of the challenges, but just kind of a little bit of uh, a window into their life um, on the show. And I, I still think, Kevin, you'd be on the show. You'd be in, in episode four of Top Chef season six. I still believe – like when you're in that, when you're watching Kevin, are you saying to yourself, "Yeah, uh, I could, I could do a dish that would that would beat the pasta salad and the Greek salad." I think I could. Now I'd have to get in that pantry. I mean, look, that was a pretty limited pantry, and you got to like act quick. Um, but I think 
yeah, I'm trying to think what I would have done, but I have no idea what the, what the pantry uh, offered. Uh, my final thought is interesting. We have next week a quick fire elimination, and while I don't enjoy seeing people be eliminated, I'm ready. I'm ready to kind of boil down the competition field and and get it, get it a little more concentrated. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I remember watching the preview and be like, oh yeah, I remember this was a really scary episode. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the 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 season's going great. Uh, I don't. The only the only production thing that I noticed this episode was I believe there was a little bit of a hiccup when Mike Isabella announced that he was doing a Greek salad, and then later they like ten minutes later in the show they had Mike Isabella explain the origins of the Greek salad. As if we didn't know that he had chosen a Greek salad. And it was the only time where I thought that there was um, – what, what, what is it called when you watch a movie? Is it continuity? We yeah. watch a movie and like a guy's holding a Coke in his left hand and then the next scene he's holding in his right. Yeah, that would be continuity. Yeah, continuity. It was kind of like in that same vein of where it felt like um, uh, th- they had a little bit of a hiccup there. But like in terms of the production – uh, I love the stories, the uh, the military aspect. I thought the colonel was great. Um, and I'm ready for episode four of, of Top Chef Season 6. For Tom Haberstow, this is Kevin Arnim, and this is Hack Your Knives. <laughs>